Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're currently walking verse by verse through the book of 1 John. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. How many of you believe what we just sang? If you believe it, say amen. One day, Jesus is coming again. Amen? The scripture says the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and then the dead in Christ are going to be raised first, and then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with them in the clouds, and thus we will always be with the Lord. One day, Jesus is coming again. Hey, it could be today, amen? You didn't sound as bold about it. (laughs) We've been studying together as a family of faith for several weekends through a New Testament letter written by one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was the one that was referred to in the New Testament as the one whom Jesus loved. He was Jesus' beloved disciple. His name is John. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wrote a letter to a group of Christians, a church. And as a section of this letter that we've been in for the last several weekends, John has been writing to them about the reality that Jesus is going to return. That's not just a fairy tale. That's not a myth. That's not some story that we've created. The Bible said when Jesus ascended back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, the angels came and they looked at the disciples and they said, This Jesus, whom you have watched go up into heaven, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go. And so John in his letter has been writing to these Christians about what it looks like to live in the last days. And we defined that early on, this idea of the last days, is that we're living in God's timeline and the only thing remaining yet to happen is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus would come again. And I gave you two realities when we started on this journey together, and I want to put them back up here. Here's the first one that we said. We said every generation of Jesus followers since the early church has thought we are living in the last days. That's not new for us. I know that some of you today think, man, I'm watching what's going on in the world. I'm watching how things are playing out. We're living in the last days. Well, we've always thought that. Since the early church... There was a John in another place, another letter. Paul wrote a letter to a church in Thessalonica who so believed Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, they became so heavenly-minded they were no earthly good. And so John is writing to us understanding that every believer since the time Jesus walked on the earth, every generation has thought, man, we're living in the last days. That's not new for us to think that. But then I gave you a second reality. Some generation of Jesus followers will experience the literal last days of life on earth as we know it, and we are closer 
to the last days than we've ever been before. As a matter of fact, we started this series four weekends ago. We're closer today than we were when we started this series to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ by four weeks. We're already four weeks closer than when we started this series together. So John has been writing to these believers about what it looks like to live in the last days. And we've sought to use John's writing here to give us some parameters to dig into and ask some very difficult questions. We've answered questions like, what are the last days? And who is and what is the Antichrist? And what is the spirit of the Antichrist? And we've talked about the, the, the way the Antichrist works in this world and the way the spirit of the Antichrist works in this world and what that looks like in society today. And we've talked about how to prepare ourselves so that we're ready when Christ comes again. And this weekend... We begin chapter 3 in 1 John. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to 1 John chapter 3. Now, before I read these verses, let me remind you that when, when, when we read the Bible, and we read it in chapters and verses, that the original authors did not include chapters and verses. They wrote these as letters. We've come back in modern times and added the chapter and verse distinctions so that we could all know where we were reading together. We could say, hey, read in verse number 2, and we all know where that is. Those were not a part of the original authorship. That's been added to help us know where we're reading as we read through the Bible. But, but what was originally written were letters, and the letters were broken down into paragraphs. We see chapter 3 as beginning a new chapter, but really the first three verses of chapter 3 are finishing the paragraph in the Greek language that was begun in chapter 2. So the first three verses of chapter 3 are John completing this thought, this idea of living in the last days. Now as we've walked through this together, we have sought to answer many questions about the end times, but obviously we've not answered every question. And to be honest with you, we can't answer every question. If you ever meet anyone who says they have all the answers about the end times and the second coming of Christ, let me give you a one-word encouragement of how to respond to them. Run. Nobody knows all the answers to all the questions about living in the last days, the end times, and what that's going to look like. Matter of fact, Jesus said to his disciples, it's not for you to know all the times and epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And it's almost like John, as you read what we're about to read, understood that in talking about the last days and the second coming of Christ and the Antichrist, he could almost feel in his readers that they'd gotten a little bit anxious, <laughs> that there was a little bit of, of nervousness as they read these words and they were trying to process these words. And so John finishes this thought with a flurry of things that we know for sure as we live in the last day. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of stuff we don't know. But John says, here's some stuff I want you to know this for sure. Let's read it together, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Look what he says. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now 
We are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. Does that excite anybody else in the room like it does me to read that? Do you hear what he said? We will see Him. <laughs> Listen, right now, we know a lot by faith. By faith, we know Him. By faith, we walk with Him. By faith, we follow Him. By faith, He leads us and He guides us. But John says, hang on, there's a lot we may not know. But let me tell you one thing I do know. We will, with our eyes, see Him just as He is. Come on. Look what he says. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So in this closing little section of Scripture, John gives us five things that we can know for sure that in the midst of all the uncertainty about the last days and the end of time, John says, listen, you can hang on to these five things. Hang your hat on this. Now, the early service listened very slowly. So we're only going to cover one of the five this weekend. Next weekend, my plan originally was to cover all five of these this morning, but the early service just listened so slowly that we're going to punt the other four. I'm going to come back next weekend and teach the other four next weekend. We're just going to cover the first of these today. But, but i got to be honest, this morning I kind of felt like as I came into today that this was going to happen because I was kind of my routine. Every Sunday morning I take the, the message that I've been studying all week and I kind of get alone with the Lord early on Sunday morning and I just kind of go back through it again in my own heart. And as I was doing that this morning, God just began to overwhelm me personally about this first reality and the encouragement that this is to us that I hope today you can sink your teeth into it. So here's the first thing we know for sure as we live in the last days. We know we are loved children of the Father. This should shape the way we think about the last days or the end of the world. A lot of times when you even talk about that, the last days, the end of the world, the second coming of Christ, here's the way a lot of us as Christians respond to that. We, we start responding with things like fear or anxiety or nervousness. There's some of you, listen, when I said earlier, I said, Jesus is coming. It could be today. Some of you went, whoo, and some of you went, oh, oh, that's unknown. That makes me nervous, pastor. It makes me uncomfortable. We get uneasy. There's a, an apprehension. There's a discouragement sometimes when we think about it. But here's what I want you to understand. 
You have a father who loves you. And he is in control of all of it. John had written to these Christians. John had told them, hey, you're living in the last days. The world's coming to an end as you know it. There's going to be the spirit of the Antichrist. You're going to be opposed. The world's not going to know you. And he sensed an uneasiness. He sensed a a restlessness and an apprehension like many of us have when we talk about this. And it's, it's just part of being a human being. And John said, hey, don't forget this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Everything about the last days and the end times should be looked at through the lens of the fact that God loves you. How many parents in the room this morning? Let me see your hand. You're a parent. You have children. Let me see your hand. Raise your hand for a minute. Just hold it up. So all over the room, a lot of parents in the room, right? How many of you parents love your children, right? And go ahead and answer like you're supposed to this morning. I don't know what happened on the way to church today, but... but But let's just pretend like we all love our kids all the time the same way, all right? We love our kids, right? And because we love our kids, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we protect them from every hurt, every harm, every evil, every pain, and every danger. As a parent, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I get all of that stuff as as best I can protected out of the life of my child. Why am I going? We spend as parents most of our time trying to do what we can to protect them from hurt and harm and danger. Why do we do that? Because we love them. We start thinking about the end day, end of time, and the last days, and we start thinking, man, that sounds dangerous, it sounds scary. Listen, your father loves you. And because he loves you, he's going to do everything within his power to protect you from danger and harm and hurt. And evil. Let me, let me show it to you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7. Look at this. Jesus said, What man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf of bread will give him a stone? Anybody going to do that here? We're going to go to lunch here in a few minutes. Just your kid's going to say, Hey, I'd like some bread. Here's a rock. Dig in. <laughs> no, you're not going to do that. Or look what it says next. Or if he asks for a fish... You're going to give him a snake. You're going to do that? I like fish for lunch, Daddy. Okay, open this box. <laughs> and you got a rattlesnake in there that's going to come out. No, we don't. Why would we? We would not do that. Look what he says. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him. I want to put a statement up on the screen that I want you to read out loud with me today. Let's read it together. I am a loved child of the Father. We're going to read it again because I want it to to sink in today. Let's read it together. I am a loved child of the Father. Because of Jesus Christ today, Because of what Jesus did through his cross and resurrection, as you sit in this building today, if you've been born again through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are a loved child of the Father. He 
loves you. Now, this tells us and answers really two basic questions. Let me, let me ask them for you. Here's the first question that it answers. How does God relate to me? How does God relate to me? Well, there's a one-word answer to that question. Here's how God relates to you and me. He relates to us through His love. Everything God does in our lives, everything about our lives is filtered through the hands of God's love for us. Do you hear what John said? John said, see how great. He, he saw them getting afraid. He saw them getting anxious about the end time. He said, listen, look at how great the Father loves you. It's a, it's a phrase that he uses here in verse 1 that is loaded linguistically with astonishment and wonder. He opens with that word, see. It's not a suggestion. It's an imperative. It's like John is saying this. You have got to see this. Look at this. You ever seen something that just caught your attention and you're like, wow. And say, hey, you got to see this. That's what John says in verse 1. He says, you have got to see. What does he say you got to see? you got to see how great the Father's love is. That phrase, how great, it's only used seven different times in the New Testament. Only seven times. This is one of them. Only six other places in all the Bible is this little phrase used. Every time this phrase is used, it implies astonishment or admiration. It's a phrase that originally meant from what country? How great is this? It's the idea of seeing something and saying, I don't recognize this. Where is this from? I've never seen anything like this in my culture. I've never, well, I grew up in Alabama, and in Alabama everybody talks like I do or even worse than I do, right? It's the language of where I'm from. We all have this deep, long southern drawl. Some of you that are new to our church think I have it. You should have heard me 15 years ago. It was much worse than it is now. And so when I grew up in Alabama, occasionally there'd be people that would pass through our town that weren't from Alabama. And when somebody passed through from Alabama or not from Alabama, you could always tell because they didn't talk like us. And when they would pass you, you'd go, I wonder where that guy's from. He don't sound like us. That's not like anything I've ever heard before. That's not our language. That's not the way we talk. It's that, from what country is that? That's, that's foreign to us. John is writing here, and he says, man, when you grasp, when you understand the love that God has for you, you have got to see this because it is a love like you have never seen or experienced before. The word that he uses for love is an interesting word. It's a word that describe, it, it describes finding your joy in something as an act of the will. Here's what that means. God has chosen in his sovereignty to make you and I the object of his love. I wrote this down in my journal this morning as I was praying about this. It's in my God time, just spending time alone with the Lord. Here's what I wrote down. God is the only one who knows everything about me. God knows everything about me. The good, the bad, and the ugly. God knows every action, 
every behavior, every habit, every reaction. God even knows every thought that has run through my mind. And John says, God has chosen to love me anyway with an unending, unchanging love. As you sit here this morning, God knows everything. The stuff that you've never told anybody. The stuff that you wish you didn't even know you thought. God knows all of that. And He loves you anyway. Listen to what Donald Burdick said about it in a commentary. Listen to what he said. God loves the sinner not because he is drawn to him by his lovableness. It's not that we're cute and cuddly. But because in spite of man's unloveliness, God sets his mind and will on seeking man's highest good This is what is amazing about God's love. Why don't you let that sink in for a minute? Here's how God relates to you. Love. Sometimes we think, oh, God's mad at me. God's disappointed with me. God's upset. No. The only way he ever relates to you is love. And it's a love like we cannot fathom. Here's what this means. Every situation and every circumstance in your life has been filtered through the love of God for you. Let me ask you a question. What are you facing right now? What are you going through? Some of you are in a circumstance or a situation and it's hard and it's difficult. And you're thinking, man, this is not the love of God for me right now. No, listen, here's what you're going to do. One day you're going to look back on that. It may be a week. It may be a month. It may be six months. It may be six years. It may be 60 years. But you're going to look back on what you're facing right now and go, now I see it. That was the love of God for me. Give me an illustration. My youngest daughter, Faith, has broken her arm three different times. Faith has this thing about breaking her arm when she does stuff. So she's broken it three different times. Two of the times that she broke it, and if she tells you the story, she'll tell you this. Two of the times she broke it, we weren't sure it was broken. So I'm a dad. She's a fourth child. I said, you sleep on it. If it still feels broken tomorrow, we'll take you to the emergency room, right? I mean, by the time you get to the fourth child, you realize you can't break them. They're going to be all right. You know, you can sleep on a broken arm, and we'll get it fixed tomorrow. And if it's fine tomorrow, then we don't have to go to the hospital. So, but, but, but one of the times she broke her arm, I didn't have that option. I mean, she came in, it was like, like yep, that's a broken arm. We, we got to go to the hospital. So we load her up, Christian and I, and we, we rush down to the emergency room over at St. Rose Hospital, and we, we take her back there, and, and the doctor looks at her arm, and he says, this is about to get ugly. 
I was like, all right, what does that mean? He said, well, it means your wife's probably going to want to leave the room, and, 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 and you may want to leave the room, or you can stay and help me. And I was like, all right, what does that mean? So, so Christy leaves the room. They give Faith some medicine to where she's awake, but, but she doesn't really feel the pain, but, but she's awake and realizes what's going on. The doctor says, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to hold down her shoulders, and then he takes her little arm. I'm not kidding. He takes her arm. And he puts it between his legs like this, and he starts, I think, like it's about to snap off like a twig. I mean, he's just like, I'm thinking in all the modern technology and medicine, this is the best we got. And I mean, he's, and I'm, I'm holding Faith down, and she's looking at me. And her eyes are screaming, dear God. What are you doing holding me down? And I'm not kidding. I'm crying. The only reason I was holding her down is because I loved her. And I knew if she was ever going to use that arm again, I had to hold her down. Now, from her perspective, it did not look like her daddy was loving her. <laughs> Some of you right now, God's got you on the table. And it don't feel like love. But everything in your life has been filtered through the love of God for you. You may not see it today. You may not see it tomorrow. You may not even see it next week. But at some point, you will look back in time and go, Man, God loved me enough to hold me because He knew what needed to happen in my life. John MacArthur said it this way. Look at this quote. He said, God loves believers with a love that is impossible to articulate in any human language and that is utterly foreign to normal human understanding and experience. Such love seeks at great cost to itself but only to freely and spontaneously for the benefit of another, even if that person is not worthy of such an expression. Here's what that means. Even though I don't deserve it, God loves me that much anyway. Listen, when you think about the end of the world, last times, Christ coming again, here's what you can know. Your Father loves you. And Everything he's going to allow into your life has been filtered through the hands of his love for you. Here's what that means. You can trust him. You can trust him. Here's the second question it answers, and we'll be done. How should I relate to God? Here's how he relates to me. Love. How should I relate to him? Here's how. His child. My father. Look what he said. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God, and such we 
are. He opened again in verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. The child of God is not something I'm trying to become. The child of God is not something that I'll be one day. John says right now because of the amazing grace of God in Christ, because of his love, as you and I sit in this building, I am a loved, accepted child of God. And I don't have to do one thing to earn his love for me. I'm his child. I can relate to him as his child. Here's what that means. You don't have to perform for his approval. Some of you grew up in a home where you had to perform to earn the approval of your parents. Listen, that's a broken system. God shows us the way it's supposed to work. Here's the way it's supposed to work. You don't have to perform today for his love. There's not one thing you have to do today to earn his love. He has chosen in his sovereignty to love you. You just get the freedom of relating to him as his child. That's it. He loves you. You don't have to today. You don't have to, to, to earn his favor. Today, you don't have to beg for his attention. He loves you. You get to be his child. I love that he said we are the children of God. It describes the ongoing state of our relationship to God. We are, as we sit in this building, loved, accepted children of God because of Jesus. How, how do we get in on that? Let me, let me close with this. John 1.12, look what he said. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who, say it out loud, believe in his name. You see, God loved you so much, the Bible says, that he sent his only son, Jesus, into this world. Jesus lived a sinless life. He offered that body on a cross for your sin and my sin to pay the penalty for our sin against God. But then Jesus rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sin. And now all we have to do is believe in him, put our faith and our trust in Jesus, and we, the Bible says, get the right to be called the children of God. As you think about the end times, as you think about the end of the world as we know it, Jesus coming again, is all that true? Yes, it's true. But because of Jesus, you and I are a loved, accepted child of God, and we have nothing to fear our father loves us and he controls all things next weekend we're going to dig into the other four but that's one we can sink our teeth in this week let's pray together father this morning would you take these truths and speak to us lord would you allow this truth to saturate our heart our understanding As we sit here this morning in the stillness of this moment, in just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song of worship as our team's going to lead us in responding to what we've heard from God this morning. But before we stand, before we sing, before we do any of that, here's what I want you to think about. God loves you. You don't have to earn that today. You're his child. What are you facing right now? Listen, it's God saying, I love you. You may not feel it yet, but it's him saying, I love you. He may be holding you down, 
right now, but it's him saying, I love you. For some of you today, the way we need, you need to respond is we're going to take these steps up here at the front, open them up like an old-fashioned altar, and you just need to come and just be alone with God and thank him for his love and embrace whatever's going on in your life right now as an act of God's love for you. For others of you this morning, maybe you're not a Christian. You've never experienced this love of God. You need to know something. God loves you, and he wants you to be his child. But you must believe. You must take the step of faith in putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. If you'd like to know that you can know Him today, when we stand to sing in just a moment, we're going to have some pastors here at the front. We're going to invite you to come. You can take one of these pastors by the hand and simply say, I need Jesus. That's all you got to say. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. For others of you, maybe you're in one of those situations or circumstances and you just want one of our pastors to pray for you. We'd be honored to pray with you and pray for you. You come to one of us. If if it's your job, your health, your family, a marriage, a relationship, whatever it is, you come. We'd be honored to pray for you. Father, in this moment, as we respond to you, as we listen for your Holy Spirit, God, we ask your Spirit to, to speak to us, to take these truths and to burn them into our lives today. Lord, would you make application? as only you can. We bless you. We worship you. It's in the name of Jesus.